Good morning, everyone. Um, before I begin uh, with the study today, Creeds, Confessions, Catechisms, Part 4, if you will, Study 4, I'd like to start with prayer and ask for the Lord's blessings upon this time. So let's, let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, your Lord's Day. We pray that um, during this time studying uh, the creeds, uh, the confessions and catechisms, and what the implications are, especially of the Chals Chalcedonian uh, definition and the Anathasian creed, that um, we would be edified by that. And not only will we be edified, but we would learn more about you and your plan for us so that we may glorify your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So good morning. Uh, before I get started, we have, you know, 45 minutes. We're going to cover, you know, quite a bit of uh, information and just as maybe a little bit of an anecdote, you know, as I mentioned the first, you know, three times studying this, there's, you know, it's kind of where I bit off a little bit more than I could chew, so to speak. So, which is, you know, if you ask my wife, Shawnee, it's like nothing new. So, um, anyway, <laughs> um, you know, a lot, lot of stuff here to the point where uh, on Wednesday this past week, uh, uh, Shemaine was asking me, well, you know, could you, you know, detail out you know this or that on my handouts and stuff like that and I said my brain is so full of all this stuff I cannot even think about it anymore so whatever you got you got go with it so um, you know with that uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, we want to and the last time we didn't really get through you know all of the um, information and what was left hanging really was what is what are the implications of you know the creeds you know especially when we were talking about, about the Chalcedonian uh, definition and Anastasian uh, Anastasian creed and you know it's it's kind of um, you know important you know that as we you know, go and, and read the creeds and even, you know, studying the history of the early church, you know, how important, you know, all this doctrine is insofar as what, what scholars will call soteriology, which is the study or the doctrine of salvation, okay? So how does this impact you know, our, you know, how we think of our salvation through, you know, Jesus? And so, with that said, um, we start off, you know, the, you know, the, the, the saying that I always kind of think back, especially, you know, with studying the early church is, uh, a, you know, a, a church that we used to go to in, in Columbus, Ohio. We had a pastor uh, by the name of uh, Larry Wilson, and uh, he was, I forget what book we were on, but he would always say, the names have changed but the game's still the same. So, you know, with studying, you know, the creeds and especially why these creeds were even developed, um, you know, gives us an idea of, you know, what we even see today, right? 
with, you know, all these other, you know, uh, other sects, we might call them, you know, the names have changed, but the game is still the same. Okay, so with that, um, we're going to try and move rapidly forward. Um, the outline and how I want to portray it, and, I, and by the way, I have a handout, and for some reason, the handout has all page twos on it. What's that? Uh, Yes, Athanasian, you're right. You are correct, okay. Thank you. Okay, and I, I didn't go through my usual, um, you know, disclaimers in the beginning about spelling and stuff like that, so, um, <laughs> right? Right, so, right, so, um, you know, we'll just continue on here. But anyway, the, the outline, uh, we're gonna start off with a brief warm-up introduction. You know, I say it's brief, maybe to you, it might be a little bit longer. Then we'll go through a summary of the councils and some of the heresies, you know, overlaying that with what the, you know, final result is uh, regarding the Chalcedonian definition and Athanasian creed. And then uh, I'd like to summarize all that information down to some broad stroke heresies and with a summary of the Christological theories, you might say. And then finally, what are the implications? What does that mean for us? And with that said, I just also want to say that the pastor turned me on to a couple of books. You might want to ask me about them. One that I really liked was uh, something called The Cruelty of Heresy by uh, Fitzsimmons Allison. And this, he did a really good job of, um, you might say, summarizing all these various heresies into really two points, which we'll get to in a little bit. Okay, so, you know, again, you know, in the first, you know, three, um, you might say, installments of this topic, uh, we have the early church debated and fought on these theological doctrinal issues, and they, you could summarize them in, to some extent, uh, non-Christian, I'm calling them non-Christian uh, non frontal attacks, okay, and we'll get into that, things like Gnosticism and so forth. Um, teachings or doctrine on the Trinity, and of course, doctrines on Jesus Christ himself, so Christolo uh, Christology. And, you know, usually how this all came to be in the early church, yet again, is, um, you know, things were kind of cooking along. You know, Jesus Christ was here on earth. He was um, crucified, resurrected, and then, of course, we read in Acts how the, the early church spread out into, you know, all of... Uh, you know, Asia, the Middle East, and even into, you know, southern, southern Europe. And so, you know, a lot of these crazy ideas, these things, you know, started coming up. So, so the saints who are more orthodox and leaning said, hey, you know, we have to do something about this, right? So a lot of this was basically is what I'm saying in, in reaction to wrong thinking, but uh, interestingly enough, by the early 500s, the sixth century, uh, Christian doctrine was pretty much, or orthodoxy was pretty much settled. And so we have two ideas, you know, orthodoxy, which is, we'll get into that in a second, right thinking, if you will, and uh, everything else. 
And this, um, you know, orthodoxy is, as I mentioned earlier in the topic of this study, is em embodied in a Chalcedonian definition and the Athanasian Creed. Okay. Um, right along. Okay. So, you know, what are we really talking about here? So when we talk about, you know, the teaching doctrinal of the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine, the Christological, you know, doctrines. Um, and I want to say here, most of us are kind of already know this, hopefully. <laughs> but, um, you know, we'll just go through it anyway. But other than the frontal attacks, meaning, as I said, forms of Nazism and Hellenism, we have things on... Uh, we have the Trinity. So what we'll see from uh, people like um, uh, Origen and some of the early church fathers, the thinking is one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And in fact, this uh, you know diagram, if you will, was supposedly, according to uh, Wikipedia, if you will, put together, I think, by either Origen or uh, Athanasius. But it just shows here, you know, which is our orthodox, you know, doctrine of the Trinity, that there, there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all are separate persons, uh, but they are still one God, okay? So, um, but anyway, uh, in early church, you know, there was a lot of, you know, in some cases, disagreement on who are the persons in the Trinity, how do they originate, and what is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And we find even today that the teaching of the Holy Spirit is a little bit different in Christendom, where most of the Western churches at that time in early church thought differently, you know, about how the Holy Spirit proceeded, you know, from the Father and the Son. You know, that's versus the Eastern or more Asian churches. In fact, I think, and I really don't know this other than what I read, is some of what the Coptic uh, you know, Catholic churches, they have quite a different thinking on the agency of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as we move on, uh, we're talking also about the Christology, the, you know, the arguments and, and thinking was, you know, the fact that Christ is fully God and fully man. Now, some people might disagree with that word fully, but there it is. Um, but when we say that, we're talking about a few different things in which was uh, debated in the early church is not only the nature or the essence, but the personhood of Jesus Christ. Okay, is there a physical person or not? Uh, the will even. Okay, what was the will of Jesus? Okay, was there two wills? Was there one will? You know, when we speak of ourselves, humans, we have a will to do things, right? Well, what was the will? And then, of course, you know, which was maybe lesser, but some people made, a, some of the early church fathers made a big deal out of it, was the incarnation or the Theotokos, the bearer of God, um, as it relates to Jesus. Okay, so we're, we're moving right along here, and um, I want to see where, where we are. Right, okay. I can't see. All right. Um, two things. Um, orthodoxy and orthodox, and, and I meant to mention this last time, but I didn't, so I'm going to mention it now. But I think most, most of us know this, but um, 
you know, to me in, in reading, we think of heresy as being like this really bad, evil thing. Like there's these evil people lurking in the background. They're going to bring up this heresy. But actually, uh, you know, as far as the uh, definition goes, orthodoxy meaning sound doctrine coming from the Greek uh, orthos, straight or right. And so if you're a chemist, you know something about that ortho word. Uh, doxa, opinion. Okay, so it's a straight or right opinion, sound doctrine. Heresy being a belief or opinion contrary to orthodoxy. So it's, you might say it's, it's not orthodoxy. It's not anything that's considered evil per se. Uh, the one thing that I thought was interesting, though, in going through all this, too, is that I thought, well, you know, um, from a scientific standpoint, you know, in science, you always want to base, you know, your conclusions or something on something that's real or that's true. Uh, as through your experiment, you, you kind of overlay that with some facts or some, you know, types of laws and et cetera, et cetera. But you know, early in the church, the biblical canon wasn't really set, you know, until perhaps the mid to, to late 300s. So, you know, early on, there was a lot of these crazy ideas, mainly because uh, the church really didn't agree on, you might say, what the Bible is. So there's always that, you know, I guess I want to point out that there's always that idea, well, where did they get this stuff from? Well, some of it, they, they just kind of got out of their head, right? Because there wasn't really, you know, an agreed on scripture. Okay, so, and, and secondly, a lot of these things that were brought up weren't really from, like I said, from people who wanted to undermine the church or anything like that. They were truly trying to think about, you know, what is the, what is the biblical teaching, okay? So on we go. Uh, but the, in the final analysis, um, and it was brought out in this uh, book called The Cruelty of Heresy, which I think is really good, the thought is, really comes down to how can we be saved? Okay, how does all these doctrines overlay with each other and focus on Jesus and our salvation? How can we be saved from our sin? And so that is, you know, borne out, like when we, especially in uh, Paul uh, some time ago was going through the Gospel of John, especially in the uh, book of John, we see these, you know, contrasting things that Jesus said, you know, regarding, you know, who Jesus was. You know, at one, in one case, he'll say, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone, right? What does he mean by that? Uh, the Father is greater than I. What does he mean by that? Uh, Jesus wept. I thirst. Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up in his spirit. Uh, things of this nature. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the early fathers were also overlaying that or contrasting that with other things that Jesus said, right? But who do you say I am? And Peter, uh, Peter answered, the Christ of God. He who has sent me has sent, seen the Father, I and the Father, this is the big one, I and the Father are one. So how, how do you, you know, how do you kind of relate, you know, all these things that Jesus said with each other? 
So, you know, and, and I'm fast forwarding here. I understand that. And, you know, if you want to look at some of the, you know, earlier, you know, handouts that I had, that's, that's fantastic. But what is the, uh, then that all culminates and what is the doc, uh, you might say the orthodox position on all this? Well, it's all compiled in what we call the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, Constantinopolitan Creed, excuse me, the Chalcedonian Definition and the Athanasian Creed. And we went through that. You know, I'm not, I don't really want to go through that again. It's quite long. And, but, um, and we really don't have a whole lot of time. But, you know, it's all, you know, summarized in those creeds. So, to summarize both of them, and I, like I said, I don't want to read through them, uh, we have the Chalcedonian, uh, and I sp spelled that one wrong, Chalcedonian, right, uh, definition. And that came about out of the um, uh, out of the Council of Chalcedon in 451. And basically, uh, in summary, it goes where the, the Nicene Creed language, well, you, we all pretty much know what the Nicene Creed is, I should hope. We read it now and again here at church. It's that kind of language plus the Theotokos phrasing, which, which leads to... Um, that, you know, Jesus is born of a woman, right? Born of the Virgin Mary. And the Virgin Mary is the God-bearer. So that's what Theotokos is, is meaning. And it also points out in a Chalcedonian definition that Jesus is divine and human, of one substance with God the Father, of one substance with humanity, but without sin. Okay, so we have one body, Two, two natures, two essences, okay? So two natures in one real physical body. And what they point out in this definition, which was really important at the time, and we'll get into this when we start looking at some of the heresies, is that in that there is no confusion of those two natures. There's no mixing. There's no change. So when those... And two natures in one person, yes. You're talking a person. You're talking a Well, I think on the second bottom half, I have it, what you just said, right? Well, it's, not two, it's not two natures in one physical body. It's two natures in one person. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Anything else? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Okay, so no division, no two persons, okay? And this is really important because, you know, there was a person by the name of Nestorius who made a, you know, kind of made a big deal, and I think we were talking about that last time, about Nestorius and um, Cyril. Okay, so the Athanasian Creed. 
Um, we move on, and this was, as we mentioned last time, that um, in around early 500s, there was this creed that came to be, and it was pretty much out of uh, uh, Ireland, uh, I forget what the name of it is, but Ireland south of, of France, which actually I looked it up on, a, uh, on the map, and it was pretty pretty nice place. I wouldn't mind living there someday. But anyway, uh, a couple of points here involving uh, the Trinitarian Orthodoxy and its implications to Christology that the Son, Jesus, is God himself, and that the Holy Spirit also proceeds from the Father and the Son and is also God. Okay. So um, then we have in that creed, and it goes into, especially with regard to the Trinity, and if you were in the study the last time, uh, it goes into very specifics to make sure that going through all this, there is no misunderstanding on what the, um, what the creed was trying to put forth. So insofar as that, we have the Christological orthodoxy, that Jesus is both God and man, again, uh, copying or confirming what was in the Chalcedonian definition, and then also the essence of the Father, the divine, and the essence of the mother being human. So they more or less, uh, there's a little more oomph, if you will, in the Theotokos kind of thinking in, in the Athanasian Creed. And not two, but one Christ, okay? So, and then there's also the, uh, the idea of the assumption of his manhood. He took on, when we read Philippians, you know, God took on humanity, if you will. And then in that creed, there's the Niceno-Constantinopolitan finish in that, you know, there's, there's one church and these, these ideas, okay? Any questions or comments so far? Okay, so what are some of the things that, you know, came to be or, or during this time, and I really want to get through these because I want to get to the implications for sure, right? That's what this is all about, um, which, by the way, isn't really, you know, I'm going to say isn't really rocket science when you get down to it. But, you know, some of the heresies that these creeds and the, the definition, you know, has um, tr attempted to correct or corrected was things like Gnosticism. You know, uh, I think Dave has spoke a little bit about this, the secret knowledge, the world is evil. Uh, there was, uh, um, I guess, one of the... Uh, I don't know whether it was a church father, but it was a, a teacher by the name of Marcion, and it's in your notes, who indicated that, you know, all of, you know, the Old Testament essentially was evil, and that, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus was the Savior, and he was good. He was not evil. And that really got things started, especially with one of the church fathers uh, called uh, Origen, okay, where they were, you know, fighting, and also Anastasius, where they were, um, no, uh, Irenaeus, excuse me, so many names in my head, um, Irenaeus, who was actually a stalwart, stalwart um, against, you know, these teachings in the early church. But, um, you know, Hellenistic systems, you know, we know the Greek gods or the Roman gods, there's gods and demigods, and they all have their various 
uh, things about them. Uh, early uh, heresy was uh, probably one of the first ones was uh, from uh, a person by the name of Arian called Arianism, where this is where he said that Jesus was a created being. Okay, so this goes against, you know, the teaching of the Trinity. Um, modalism, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three modes. And we even see that around still today where, you know, God is displaying, you know, different, different you might say, per people of the Trinity uh, in um, at different times. Like at one time now we see the Father, another time we see the Son, another time we see the Holy Spirit. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, a heresy that was around at that time. Docetism, uh, uh, Jesus is wholly divine. Uh, since God is impassable, meaning that he cannot suffer, he doesn't have any of these type of um, uh, experiences, he cannot be human. So humanity, his humanity was actually an illusion, okay? It was actually illusion. Well, what, you know, th there was, there is a very large religion now who was born out of this whole idea, and that is uh, Islam. Okay, when Islam, you know, thinks of Jesus, they, they say, well, yeah, he was a prophet, but he really didn't die on the cross. It was some other dude, right? Uh, most likely Simon of Cyrene. So, you know, nothing new under the sun. Adoptionism, Jesus is a man and developed God attributes over time. So Jesus was, yeah, Jesus was born of the woman, but, you know, over time he developed these, you know, godly attributes. And then on and on, we have uh, Apollinarianism. Jesus, you know, people were thinking, well, you know, we like the idea, we agree with the idea that Jesus was both God and Jesus was man, but, you know, how could he be perfect? So Jesus is both God and man, but has God's will, okay, his mind. So he's only partially human and he's only partially God. So now think of it. There's, there's now this effect on our salvation. How could you now say that, you know, it was God who came down and suffered for all of mankind, right? Um, Nestorianism, like I said before, Jesus has two persons. So I don't know how this guy, I can't even explain that one, but there's two people, okay, instead of this one person, right? Um, joined by a divine will. And then there was another fellow by Eutychus, Eutychanianism, Eutychanianism, right. Eucanism, excuse me. Jesus is divine. Humanity absorbed into the divine, resulting in a third nature. So here it is, the Athanasian Creed is teaching against this, where you have you have God and you have man, and somehow those, those natures mix you know, together, all right, and become another nature. And then like that, you have Jesus is divine, but a mixture, somehow there's this kind of like, it's almost like a custom blend in horticulture. You know, you have this mixture of, of God and man somehow, all right? And then lastly, of uh, the heresies du jour, we have Jesus is divine, uh, one will, meaning there's not two wills, okay, in one person.
Okay, he's just mostly divine. Well, he's not human then, right? So this has, you know, implications, right? Okay, so if we, you know, roll that up, um, we have, again, um, simple summation of heresies. We have the frontal attack on God and Christianity itself. And like I said, if you look at the handouts, and I apologize uh, for some reason, you know, the handouts have a bunch of page twos. So I don't want you to think like you're in the twilight zone or anything else. You, I just can't get out of page two. Where is it? So, um, you know, uh, it's really toward the end where uh, on may perhaps even the fifth page where I have lined out for you, you know, some of these, a um, little more detail on some of these heresies, so. But uh, we have um, heresies that are more Gnostic in nature. Um, Marcion, like I said earlier, uh, you know, indicated that the, you know, all the, the God of the Old Testament and e is evil and the God of the New Testament is merciful and good. Uh, that was, of course, you know, overturned in the first uh, Council of Nicaea. Uh, Montanus, uh, he, now I don't know who this guy was. I really, this is the first time I even came across his name. But early in the, in the early church, in perhaps uh, the year 100 to 200, said he was the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. So I guess uh, that was a uh, kind of Jim Jones kind of thing uh, where, you know, he said like, well, you know, whatever I say, you know, goes. So he practiced a type of Gnosticism and strict asceticism. Um, as we get into the Trinity, again, we saw in, in some of the heresies where, where you know, especially um, Iranianism where, where Jesus has to be, you know, he has to be God, and he is God, right? But, um, you know, when you start messing with the Trinity in that way, that leads to a Christological problem, right? So, um, so then we have uh, uh, the summation of heresies. We have the other side where the Christology is not orthodox, Jesus is not fully God, and he's not fully divine. So he does not have two natures. He has one or the other, and this creates a problem. And so this is what I'm going to focus on here in the next few minutes. He must be both. So why is it important for Christ to be fully divine and fully uh, human? And as, you know, I hope that I've been saying all along, it has implications in our salvation, right? How are we to be saved? Implications uh, on example, how, how should we live? How do we achieve salvation? Um, in this book, uh, The Cruelty of Heresy, uh, the writer goes into quite depth, you know, on all these, you know, on these questions to the point where I just couldn't fill my head anymore with what he was talking about, right? So, but how do we relate to a holy and transcendent God? If the Holy, and then lastly, if the Holy Spirit is not proceeding from the Father and His Son, how do we get our help, right? How do we get our help? If we move, uh, move along, um, 
let's talk a little bit about the divine and, and why was it important? And, and some, if people have other ideas along these lines, please, you know, blurt them out or you might want to be a little more organized than that. But um, it's important for God to be divine, right? Only God can save. We all know that. He could be the only one to forgive sins. Even when we read, you know, in, in prophecy, in Isaiah, God continuous, continuously tells us that he's the one that is going to redeem. He's the one that's going to save. Only God and his son, God the son, excuse me, has infinite worth. He's infinite. He is the infinite and perfect sacrifice, Right? Anybody disagree with that? Good. Okay, God initiates salvation. The idea that God is the one that initiates salvation. And if we, again, if we read any of the, uh, many of the Old uh, Testament scripture, uh, especially Isaiah, we'll see that God is the one that is going to initiate redemption. God desired to experience the human condition. Okay, we, we read that even in, in, in Philippians, right? God became man. He needed to be one of us. This needed to be very important for, for him, okay, for our salvation. Excuse me, not for him, for us. God's power to overcome death and go back to the Father. Okay, so how did God, uh, Jesus Christ, do you, you might say his humanity, uh, conquered death. He had to be both God and man. And if he was only human, and this is a big, this is a big argument, especially in the book that I just cited earlier, if he was only human, that death would be of no worth at all, would it? I mean, be it a good example, okay? Jesus Christ died for us. He's a human. Great. Good guy. Love it great example but how does that um, show us you know all the points above only God can forgive only God the son has infinite worth okay he is the only one that forget can forgive sins he initiates salvation and you know his experience anything else anybody want to add to that okay I'm looking at you, Mark, and I know you want to say something, so, so go for it, dude. set me up okay so here so here we go why did God need to be human okay Jesus needed to be just like us in every way except without sin right 
need to be just like us. How could we relate? How could we relate to Jesus if he was only God? If he was only God, it would be almost like a sham. Okay, no kidding. Okay, you're God. You could get all this stuff done. But no, he was also like us in every way. He needed to experience our every maladies, pain and physical. So he needed to suffer. He needed to experience that. And even like some of the really, you know, in, in some of the, um, in one of the books by uh, Holcomb, which I think, you know, both of his books on the creeds and heresies are excellent, okay? And actually they're quite inexpensive on Kindle, about eight bucks. But nevertheless, you know, he even goes on to say he needed to experience humanity like when he was growing up as a kid, he might have had acne, right? All right, as, as a boy, he might have had an acne, you know, he might have had to experience, you know, the girl next door kind of liking him a little bit. And, you know, all these, you know, crazy things. He might have had bony knees, who knows, right? Stuff like that. So he gets a little silly, but even though, you know, he had to have the human experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think people get really wrapped around reaction about that one in particular, and you get yourself into a heresy very quickly by saying that, well, Jesus had to do that because there's something God didn't know, and therefore he had to add to his knowledge in order to get to a place. Okay. Good point. Anybody else want to add to that or... There's, there's some aspects where, you know... Um, I will say that you could almost say, well, yesterday you weren't at, the, at the, the men's thing, but we were talking about, you know, Jesus knew that Judas was, uh, Jesus, did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him or did he know that somebody was going to betray him? And when did he find that? We, we got into this discussion, but my point is, is that in some cases we could be led to believe that there was some information, we don't know what it is, and I'm not gonna get into this, there was some information that, that he didn't quite know right away. Now maybe he did, okay, but when you read you know, the Gospel of John, he didn't know it was exactly Judas, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. What, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying, he, he had to be like us. So he had to be like us, and even a writer whose name is Justin Holcomb gets a little silly, and, you know, what, yeah, go ahead, Mark. You said mystery. Mm -hmm. So, so Jesus learned, but 
let me do everything. And sometimes, and this is the trouble, this, there's a mystery here. You have to accept the mystery. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I was going to say earlier that even, even myself, like these last three weeks leading up to this, you know, thinking about it, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? The scientist in me, or just the, the humanity in me, we want to explain it. We want to somehow pin it down. What actually is it? We can understand, you want to call it mystery? Exactly. That's exactly. That, that's exactly what I'm going to say. Once we start to try to explain it, okay, which is a concept that is so otherworldly, so transcendent, so not like us, we fall into what we'll call a heresy, right? So we have to just, you know, at times accept um, Ken. Exactly. Exactly. Anybody else before we finish this one slide up, Mark? Yeah, and, and you, you touch on like an important point because um, when it look, when you uh, read the Anath uh, Athanasian Creed, it does have a set of uh, anathemas in there. And so some of the early church fathers would say, you know, how dare you tell me, you know, what to believe about, you know, the Holy Spirit you know, when, you know, my faith is based on belief in, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. So, you know, exactly, exactly the point. And we could, 
you know, we, we could really, you know, get ourselves, you know, into a pickle, you know, when we're, we're talking about um, or when we think about how we are uh, portraying, you know, Jesus to, you know, somebody else, right? When we're living our lives and in, in our walk with, with Christ. But, you know, just to finalize, you know, these points that are here, um, you know, again, if he, uh, Jesus needed to be tempted. Okay, this is a very important point that he needed to be tempted. All right. Uh, if he didn't have a human will, okay, again, so what? Okay. Jesus was the second Adam, you know, that idea. And then lastly, of course, as uh, I think uh, Ryan was touching on, is Jesus need, needed to be sacrificed and he had to shed real blood. He had to atone for a holy God. He had to atone. I mean, it had to be. Without sin, of course, because he is, as we read in the, in the Gospels, a perfect sacrifice. He is our perfect sacrifice. I'm going to jump um, to the end here. Uh, the danger, though, and uh, one writer points out, there is a danger in these creeds, and that, and I guess maybe touched on, Mark, a little bit what you said, is that, um, you know, we could, we could come to almost like a dead orthodoxy where we say, okay, I believe in these creeds. You know, this is really cool. You know, that's it, right? Um, the creeds can cause one not to rely on the whole word of God in their walk with the Lord. And we even see this even in a shorter catechism in our community group. We just, you know, read that, you know, the importance So you read the um, Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, the, that part is right up there in the front where, you know, the Bible is the key authority in faith and practice, right? So it's not the creeds, although the creeds help us, they're aids in understanding uh, the, you know, what the Bible is trying to tell us or what the Bible is saying. And then lastly, um, we'll, we'll end with a Sprolesque uh, Coram Deo. Uh, the summary is this, the Christological debates of the early church can be hard to keep track of <laughs> But there is one important conclusion from them that we can easily remember, namely that Jesus' humanity is as important to our salvation as is his deity because he was and remains truly human as well as truly divine. Jesus atoned perfectly for our sin and helps us in our temptation. He can save us and sanctify us because he is the one he is one of us without sacrificing any of his deity. So with that, we're out of time. Any other uh, comments, questions?
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, in, in an earlier uh, thing that I mentioned about the, um, you know, the canon, like today we read our, you know, we read the Bible and it's like, you know, uh, we have study aids and things like that. And you, you read even some of these heresies and you're, you got to think, how did this dude ever come up with this idea, right? How did he ever come up with this idea? But, you know, there, there it is. As you say, you read through scripture and you come to this conclusion what the creeds are saying, right? Yeah. Mark. Thank you. Well, this is my last one for quite a while. I'm just kind of burnt out on it, okay? <laughs> I, I hate to say. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Bob. Mark, do you mind if you close us in prayer? Thank you.